The scripture uh, reading today is also printed in your bulletins. I'll be reading from Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 26. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. And this is God's word. The narrative of Christmas teaches what happens when Jesus Christ comes near uh, in our lives. And from this account in Mary, Mary the mother of Jesus, we learn two things. That's right, only two things today. Um, We're going to learn about the message of Christmas and then the application of Christmas. You can't get more more simple than that, right? First, we're going to look at the message of Christmas In verse 26, the angel Gabriel goes to Mary, and Mary is a virgin. And he says to her, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Do not be afraid. You will be with child, and you will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Now, in verse 31, he says that his name is Jesus. That means savior. That means rescuer. In verse 32, he will be great, and he will be called the son of the most high. In verse 33, he will reign forever. His kingdom will never end. In verse 35, he is the Holy One. He will be called the Son of God. In other words, what the angel is saying is this, that the power of God, this is the presence of God, has come down into you. What's the message? I mean, this is the Savior. This is the King. This is the Holy One, the Son of God, the Most High. But he has become low. He has become vulnerable. He has become weak. He has become killable. He has become a baby. He's great because he's weak. He is a savior through the weakness. How do you apply that? You want to become great? You have to stop seeking the heights. You have to seek the depths. You have to stop seeking greatness and power and subversion. You have to look towards weakness and vulnerability and meekness. By the way, this is why our generation today is so anxious and so depressed, why they're always fighting and why they're so jealous. You want to become great? You want to move up? You want to go up? Stop pushing people aside. Stop stepping all over people. You have to come down. Now, a mere teacher can't tell you that. A mere religious leader can't tell you that. A Jewish rabbi or a Muslim imam can't tell you that. Why? Because they believe that God is too great to be limited. You can't be weak. 
a Buddhist or somebody from an Eastern religion can't, will say, you can't limit the concept of God. You can't, you can't be finite. But Christianity says Jesus is the Son of God, the Son of the Most High, and yet he chose to come down. He chose to limit himself. In Revelation 5, uh, which is the last book in the uh, New Testament, the author, he sees a throne. He sees a throne, and he sees a scroll, but the thing is, there's no one worthy enough to open the scroll, and so he's weeping. But then he's told, see, the Lion of Judah has triumphed, and he is able. And he looks, but he doesn't see a lion, he sees a lamb. And the lamb looks like it's all jacked up, it's been slain. And so, is Jesus Christ a lion or is he a lamb? And that's the point, because Jesus is both. He's great because he's both. He's lion and lamb. He's the king who has been slain. See, on one hand, we worship Jesus because he's a great king. But on the other hand, we love to worship Jesus because he is the king who has come down for us. Christmas means that the Holy One, Jesus Christ, has come down. But did he come down to royalty? Did he come down through a queen? No, he came down through Mary. Mary, Mary is an illiterate, weak, powerless woman. And he was born in a manger. Why? Because he came to save the weak. He came to save the powerless. And he came to save through weakness. And he came to save through powerlessness. We, are, we were unable to become holy on our own. So what happened? Holiness had to come down. That's the gift. That's the gift of Christmas. What's a gift? A gift is always a reflection of what you need. So when someone gives you a gift, that gift is a reflection of what they think you need, what they believe you need. And in any gift, there are two things. There are two parts to a gift. You have to receive it, and you have to apply it, right? Because to receive a gift and to not apply it makes the gift worthless. Real gifts a gift that you view as a gift to you is received and applied. So when you receive this gift, applying it means what? To apply a gift, you have to accept certain things about yourself, about what you need. You have to admit that. Christmas means what? That God gave his son as a gift, as the ultimate gift, out of sheer grace, not because you earned it, not because you deserved it, not because you worked for it. He emptied himself for you out of sheer grace. Now, what do you have to accept about yourself to receive him. And this is the beauty of Christmas. This is the beauty of the Christmas narrative because we see a mini unraveling of the gospel in this narrative alone. Jesus Christ, the Holy One. Jesus Christ, one who is greater than David. We have to accept that. You have to accept the truth that we are so sinful, we are so broken, we are so helpless, we cannot be reconciled to God on our own. We are so sinful, it had to be God who saves and yet God is so loving. Isaiah 53 says that Jesus was satisfied and glad to be the one who saves. That's the message of Christmas. That's the message. First point, how do you apply it? We see Mary's response really in four movements. And uh, we're going to walk through these movements very quickly. First, Mary needs to think, and that means we need to think it through. We need to process. We need to reason. In verse 28, the angel says, greetings, the Lord is with you. And Mary responds how? Count me in? I'm in? Does, it respond, does she respond with joy? In verse 29, it says, she's greatly troubled and wondered about this. The Greek word here, wonder, is logistimai. It's where we get the word logic. It means that upon hearing the angel, 
She didn't just sit there and just jump right into things. She had to logically process. She had to analyze passionately what was going on here. She was thinking about it. She was processing it. She was reasoning it. What she's saying is really, this is really hard to believe, but I want to think this through. I want to be open to think about this. Now, Mary, she's a religious person. She knows about God. She's heard about God's promises. What does that mean? You need to process. You need to do more than just hear about it. You need to think it through. You need to think through the call of God. You need to process God's promises. You need to reason it out. You can't just automatically resist it. You can't just automatically reject it. You can't just automatically dismiss it because that's not only unwise, that's unintelligent. You need to listen to the message and then reason it out. You need to let it argue with you. You can't just rely on your feelings. You can't just rely on your gut. You can't just rely on your own interpretation of things. Why? Because your feelings are always conflicting, right? What you think about something today, what you like today, will change tomorrow. Our feelings are always conflicting with each other. They're always changing. And they're always based on circumstances. So as circumstances change, your feelings about things will change. Remember Pride and Prejudice, Jane Austen, the book? When Lizzie Bennet first meets, first encounters Mr. Darcy, he looked to her as proud and arrogant. And she's thinking at that moment, I could never be with a guy like that. Now, later in the book, if you've read the book, Mr. Darcy saves her dignity, rescues her family, and now she's thinking, why would a great man like that ever love a person like me, especially after I dismissed him and rejected him so quickly? You can't just rely on how you feel. You can't just rely on your own interpretation. You can't just rely based on circumstances. You have to listen. You have to think about the message. You have to process the message. Verse 34, Mary says, how can this be? In other words, I'm a virgin. I'm a virgin. How can this happen? And yet the Lord has come to me, and I'm with child. She's processing. She's trying to put the pieces together. Tons of questions, but she's processing. She's open. You know God is coming near to you when all the faculties of your life, your heart, your soul, your mind, your will, all these things are being challenged. And you start to focus because you realize that whatever is happening in your life right now takes more than intelligence to work out. It takes more than your own abilities to work out. So you've got to think it through. You've got to process the message. Number two, you've got to approach things with courage and humility. Verse 34, how will this be? Mary has the courage to ask because she doubts. She's genuinely doubting. She's genuinely fearful. But then verse 35, the angel explains what happens to her. And in verse 38, she just trusts. So Mary's got honest doubts, but she's humble. She's got the courage to ask questions, but she's open to believe. She says to God, on one hand, I don't, I don't get this. Friends, that's what prayer is. Prayer is going to God and saying, explain this to me. I don't get this. Help me to understand this. She has the courage to, to ask questions, but she's got the humility to hope and the humility to trust in a deep way. You know, that great poet and author, uh, Guillaume Apollinaire, what did he write? He writes, come to the edge, he said. They said, we can't. We're afraid. Come to the edge, he said. They said, we can't, we will fall. Come to the edge, he said. And so they came, and he pushed them, and they flew. We need to think. We need to have courage to ask questions, 
and a humility to be open to trust. Three, we need to see Elizabeth. In verse 36, the angel says, you see, your relative Elizabeth is pregnant. Now Elizabeth was barren, but now she's been pregnant for six months. And so later, Mary actually seeks out Elizabeth. And she doesn't really get it until Elizabeth explains everything to her. Now, what does that mean? We need people in our lives. We need people in our lives who will help us to see things when we're confused. Help us to see our sin. Help us to see God's grace in Jesus. Help us to see God's grace through our sinfulness. Plug into community. So important. You need to process, yes. But your intelligence and your ability are not enough. You need to ask questions. You need to pray. You need the courage and the humility. But the thing is, courage and humility are not enough. Almost no one in this room has ever come to God, come to the Lord without real community speaking truth into their lives, into their confusion, into their doubts, into their skepticism, into their anger, into their fears. You need good community in your life. Lastly, you need submission. In verse 38, Mary says, I and the Lord's servant. After everything she hears, she's processing, she's asking questions, she's trusting, she's going to seek out community. The angel is explaining everything to her. Lastly, she obeys. Verse 31, Mary is already told that Jesus is going to be the name of her child. Now think about this. The power to name something. You get a dog, you get to name it. You buy a car, there are people who buy cars or guitars, you name it. You have a child, you get to name that child. Because the very nature of naming something, the power to name something, is, is about authority. It's about ownership over that thing. But Mary, what does she do? She submits to the name that's given to her. And the reason she does this is because Jesus is what? Jesus is the first child ever to be the owner and the authority over his own parents. And so, as you encounter Jesus, don't try to give Jesus, don't try to assign Jesus the name that you want to give him. Now, we love to name Jesus Healer. We love to name Jesus Helper. We love to call Jesus Friend. We love and we should call Jesus Lover. But we're told to name him Jesus. And to call him Jesus is to call him Savior is to call him rescuer. You have to accept a lot of things about yourself. It takes a certain kind of person to be led to call him Jesus. Jesus is the only child with the ultimate authority and to have ultimate salvation power. Submit to him. Now, there are people in this room who say, you see, I want to believe. I want to be a Christian. I want to be a Christian, but does that mean I have to give up my sex life? Does that mean I have to give up my wealth? And what you're really saying when you say that is, I'm willing to surrender. I'm willing to submit as long as I still have control over the things that I value most in my life. In verse 38, Mary says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. You know what she's saying? Yes, I know. By having a baby before I'm married, that means I'll be disgraced. Yes, people are going to turn their noses away from me. And yes, I may even lose my husband. I don't know what he knows. I may lose my husband. He may not believe me. I may lose my community. I will lose my lifeline if I lose my community. I will be an outcast. I'm going to suffer. But notice, she doesn't say, I'll suffer if you help me. 
After this passage in verse 46, Mary starts to sing a song. We call it the Magnificat. She sings. And really what she's saying in the song is, I will suffer because you came to me. I will suffer because you are mindful of me. She doesn't understand everything at the moment. She wasn't looking for God. She wasn't seeking God. She wasn't praying to God at the time, right? She wasn't worshiping God at the time. God came to her. He came down and reached her. And she sings. She sings because she says, you came to me. You were mindful of me. Later on, Mary gets it, but she submits and she trusts, and she obeys, and she says, this is worth the sacrifice. This is worth sacrificing my reputation because I see what's happening. Friends, you're never going to experience the joy of surrender until you actually surrender. You're never going to experience the joy of submitting, the joy of obedience, until you actually submit, until you actually obey. What does that mean? The Christian life is not about obeying because it fulfills you. Because it's not always going to fulfill you. I'm a pastor, I can tell you, it's not always going to fulfill you. Then why do we actually obey? It's because it's real. The story is true. Do you believe the story? Do you believe the narrative that the high king has come down to save you? Is it true? Because once you surrender, like any major commitment in your life, once you surrender, then there's the joy. Once you surrender, then there's the delight. In verse 46 to 55, Mary sings the Magnificat. Why does she sing? Because she's received more. She's received more than just a son. She's received a truth that has rescued her, changed her, and transformed her life. What is that truth? In Mark chapter 1, Jesus Christ is being baptized. They said that as he's being baptized, the heavens opened up, and the Spirit of God came down on him like a dove. The Holy Spirit, God, came down upon him. And there God said, this is my son whom I love. In other words, you are highly favored. God is doting on Jesus, doting on his son, Jesus Christ, the son of God, the son of the most high God. But later in Gethsemane, we see Jesus who's older, an older Jesus, and he's praying. And what does he pray? Luke chapter 22, Father, if, it, if you are willing, take this cup from me. He's talking about the cup of, his, of God's wrath. The cup of God's wrath being poured out because of the penalty, as a penalty for our, all of our sins. And he prays this, not my will, but yours be done. In other words, what he's saying is, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Mary had the courage to suffer because she points to one who's even greater than herself. The goal, we're not, we're not worshiping Mary. We're worshiping the one to whom Mary herself points. She doesn't know everything that's going to happen. She doesn't know everything that's going to happen, but Jesus knew everything that was going to happen. And so here's Jesus at Gethsemane, and he's suffering. He knew what's going to happen, and how does he respond? One, he's processing, and he's thinking. Two, he's humble, and he's praying, and it breeds courage. Three, Jesus is with his disciples. He's in community. Now, Mary, Mary had Elizabeth. And when Mary seeks out Elizabeth, that leads to her song. But Jesus, his community, his disciples betrayed him. They abandoned him. They failed him. And that led to his arrest. And so Jesus is utterly alone. And yet he still says, not my will. Yours be done. He submits. He surrenders. He says, I'll obey. 
Mary, later in the Magnificat, she sings, my soul rejoices, my spirit rejoices. In other words, I am overwhelmed with delight. But did Jesus say here, my soul is overwhelmed with joy? No. What he prays at Gethsemane is, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. In other words, Jesus died twice as he was on the cross. First at Gethsemane, he's he, knowing everything that's going to happen to him. He's just overwhelmed with grief overwhelmed with sorrow, overwhelmed by the sight of everything that's going to happen to him. And he says, I'm, I'm overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, and he actually starts to bleed. You see, Mary, she received ultimate joy because Jesus Christ would receive the ultimate sorrow, the ultimate pain, the cosmic pain of ultimate rejection the cosmic pain of ultimate abandonment. Like hell, he knew what would happen. He understood the cross. And on the cross, Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Mary risked losing Joseph, risked losing her love, risked losing union. Jesus Christ suffered not just the risk of losing union with his love, the Father. He suffered the cost of losing love from the Father, union with the Father. Why? Jesus Christ was rejected so that we could be accepted. Jesus Christ lost the presence of the Father so that we could receive the presence of the Father. Jesus Christ became the curse so that we could become the blessing. We would receive blessing. Jesus suffered ultimate shame, ultimate disgrace, the ultimate curse, ultimate loss, losing his Father. He said, I'm forsaken. Why? So that in him we would become righteous, we would be blessed. That's the meaning of Christmas. The high king has come down to suffer for us. If you believe this, you can go to a God, you can go to that kind of God with everything. If you believe this narrative, you can go to that kind of God with anything. You can go to him with your fears. You can go to him with your doubts. You can go to him with your questions. You can go to him with your skepticism. You can go down with your sin because his name is Jesus and he will save you and rescue you from your sins. You can obey that kind of God because you can trust that kind of God. And if you do, even if you don't understand everything right now, even if life is hazy or confusing right now, you, that will lead you to the song. So as we celebrate Christmas today, we're going to be sharing lots of gifts in the next few days, lots of gifts, lots of celebrating. Will you remember the gift of Jesus? The gift of Jesus come down into our lives to be our Savior and our Rescuer, to be our salvation and our delight. And let that delight then transform you and change you for all time. Will you pray with me? Let's pray.